Welcome to the Next Level Human Podcast. As a human, you have a job to do. In fact, you have four jobs. To earn and manage money, to attain and maintain health and fitness, to build and sustain personal relationships, to find meaning and make a difference. None of these jobs are taught in school. And that is what this podcast is designed to do, to educate us all on living our most fulfilled lives through the mastery of these four jobs. I'm your host, Dr. Jade Tita, and I believe we are here living this life for three reasons and three reasons only. To learn, to teach, and to love. In this podcast, I will be learning, teaching, and loving right along with you. Grateful to have your company. Here's to our next level. So let's begin to go into another discussion. We'll just make this part two um, of our discussion. So um, those of you who are, you know, continuing to listen, this is just going to be a part two of the discussion that Erica and I had previously. So this is Erica Cherwinski. She's a clinical psychologist, a PsyD. She's become one of my closest friends here in Asheville, North Carolina, and a, and a great teacher to me. And you're jumping into a part two for for Erica and I. This is a conversation that is just continuing. But for all of you, this will be a a, a part two where we begin to uh, you know get into a little bit more discussion based on what we were speaking of in the last episode. So in order to perhaps follow all of this, you're going to want to go and listen to the last episode between Erica and I. Now, last time we were talking, we were talking about this idea of, you know, sort of integration, inclusivity, Mm -hmm. um, these kinds of things around. We were talking a lot about polarity and this idea of masculine uh, and feminine. And when we left off, one of the things that you made a point to say, because I was making uh, the point that you can't fight fire with fire, so to speak. So as as much as we might want to take out our frustrations on, you know, let's say the patriarchy and the masculine, that we can't become masculine patriarchs in doing that. Otherwise, we become the thing that we hate. And my point at the end of that was that a lot of people who have feminine orientations or look female and feminine are doing this in my from my point of view. And one of the the points you had made to me is that you said a very important point. I think you said, well, part of it is that, you know, we must have safety and we must be able to fight back to a degree that anger is useful, that we must be able to uh, orient ourselves towards safety and security before we can uh, be and do these things where we can meet people oftentimes Mm -hmm. uh, in the way that we our higher selves might want. And so, now what I want to talk to you a little about is this idea of spirituality and this idea of consciousness around spirituality, because here's my contention with that. Um, and I just want to see what you say with this. So if I am wounded and my my natural inclination is to push back in this way and to uh, meet uh, fear with fear and anger with anger and power with power and get into the struggle. Um, from my perspective, to what degree am 
I perpetuating this? And isn't it, in my mind, the quintessential spiritual um, warrior, let's say, mm-hmm. the, quote, peaceful warrior, spiritual warrior, would essentially say, no, the it stops with me. I will break the chain. I will take one on the chin for team human. I will no longer be the thing that perpetuates this. In other words, I refuse to become the thing I hate. In Thoreau's words of civil disobedience, I simply will no longer contribute to this way of thinking. And and what I want to ask you, Erica, is to me, what has happened to the fact that to these people, like, why do we have to all bow down at each other's wounds now? What has happened to the fact that Yes, we're going to suffer. We're all going to suffer. Every single one of us is going to run into pain and, and have difficulty. And if if we always are like, pay attention to me, you know, my wounds matter most, like, you know, I need to be seen, then who's going to show up and do it for team human? Isn't there something to be said for the fact that someone's got to step up and stop this perpetual cycle? First, I say I love your team human. <laughs> it makes me smile every time I hear it. I think you're so adorable. <laughs> um, but this is a hard one, right? Because, like, think okay. about it. Victims want to be victims, and people will get stuck in that. So, to what degree do we let them continue to do that? Well, I think individuals are can only operate from that place of where they're ready, what their psychic and um, where their capacity is. So if someone is in a wounded place and they're saying, no, I need to be seen, they, that individual unit can't show up for the collective yet, right? So yeah, maybe it is the collective that needs to circle around that human, you know, I'm thinking collective small group, or, you know, we could look at this as more of a metaphor that needs to say, wow, I see your wounds and maybe you haven't been seen enough. And I'm not going to rescue you, but I will witness you and love you and watch you rise. I had a, there was in 2016, um, I was in my own very dark night of the soul, um, had gone through a breakup that was very hard for me in my own growth. It was even less about the relationship and more about just where I was at, but I, I was definitely in a dark night of the soul and depressed. Uh, and I had a dream one night where I woke up at four in the morning and I was like, Oh, groggy, why are you waking up so early again? And I went back to sleep, but it was a light sleep. And in this dream, I was, I was watching from above this, uh, it was like a desert, very dry African terrain and it was of a tribe and there was a tribe in a circle maybe there were about 40 people and the people were all rattling and chanting and there was something in the center of that circle and i looked and there was a a mound and it was it was me buried and these people were chanting and rattling and i knew what was happening and what was happening was that i was not dead yet they were waiting for me to die and i also knew that they would keep rattling until I awoke, that I was needing to die and I was needing to come back to life and that they were there holding the rattles. And what that is to me is an example of a collective holding, not doing, but 
being present with someone's process, which in that time was my process, that I needed to die in order to come back to life. What a beautiful metaphorical story that illustrates this. I just love that so much because I agree 100%. In a sense, we must, if someone is going through difficulty, if they are suffering as good humans, humans. we absolutely need to show up, hold the space, be there for them. We, we, you know, we need to say, I see you, Mm -hmm. you know, I know you're injured. This is not easy. I hate that this has happened to you. And here's the part that I really love about that dream. There is a part that you said they're rattling because they know you're waiting for you to die in a sense, but they're rattling because they know you must awake and they're there. And to me, I go, this is the question, man. What happens to the individuals? And I do feel like I see this constantly who simply refuse to wake back up. They, they simply refuse to do anything until and unless the people stop rattling and do it for them. It's not enough for so many of us. And by the way, there's no judgment here. I, I mean, suffering is horrible. I, I wish it wasn't the case, but ultimately we have got to at some point make the choice. And I guess I would put it this way, victims, right? It's such a negative connotation uh, in, in a lot of ways. And to me, I go, absolutely, we, there's a time and a place. And we must, in my mind, in order for our salvation, our spiritual salvation, our spiritual growth, we must allow ourselves to be victims. There's no way around that. And at some point, we must also choose to become the heroes, to use this in some way. And what I would say is that most individuals are in some sort of limbo here, where they're pointing out everyone else's a dysfunction and saying, you shouldn't be the victim, be the victim, and you shouldn't be the victim, and you have no reason to be the victim. Yet they themselves are calling out for their wounds to be witnessed. And they become addicted to this in a sense. And then they never can move on. And, and this is the world you live in day in and day out. This is what a clinical psychologist does, helps people move on from these. And, I'm, and the question to me is, what is going on there? And like, because in the end, isn't it true? And maybe I'm wrong here. Correct me, Erica. But isn't it true that at some point, every individual must Mm -hmm. take ownership and responsibility for what has happened to them, regardless of whose fault it was, and find a way to make sense of it and to do something powerful with it for the world? Otherwise, who's going to do it if not them? Yes. And I don't think it could happen alone, Mm -hmm. meaning that there is everything from cultural and collective influences that have created those injuries for that person, say. And so, yeah, there's this being is both an individual and part of a a larger web, right? And in that micro of the individual, they're the only person that can step into empowerment. And they're also held in a web that has to recognize and have accountability for certain things. As well as, and I'm, all, I'm thinking racially, you know, we're two white privileged individuals speaking about a, both from the macro, and that's not our main conversation, but it has to be present. So we have to look at the culture that that exists in, and then also look at where's the individual micro going on. And yes, the only person that can make those changes and have that empowerment is that individual. And are they having the resources to help them do that? Are they having, are they making the right choices of their community around? who they're with around, are they finding the help they need? Are they receptive? We talked in our last 
uh, podcast about that feminine quality of receptivity. And sometimes it's really hard when someone has been always on the offense and protected. And this is a male wound too, to be receptive and receive help. So I think that you're absolutely accurate in saying that it is down to the individual to choose their own empowerment and to be able to make steps. And it also is a responsibility of the collective where reparations and where acknowledges acknowledgement needs to be made so that the individuals have opportunity to become receptive and depending on that environment. Yeah, this is the part that is really, really hard for me because if, if we're really listening to what, if I'm really listening to what you're saying, and this is a place where perhaps I, I just can't allow myself to agree fully because of yeah. this, because I go, um, in the end, society may just choose not to. Mm-hmm. And in the darkest of times, and this is a horrible thing, but you know, we humans have, I think, the capacity. I really do think we have the capacity, like a star in a sense, when surrounded by darkness, we must mm-hmm. become our own source of light. We, mm-hmm. we have no choice simply because otherwise um, we may be waiting forever. It may never come. And if we have the orientation that it is impossible, then I think perhaps it actually is impossible. And if we sit around and wait for culture to do it, then um, and other people to do it for us, we may be waiting our whole lives. Now, maybe I'm wrong here, but this to me is perhaps like if we're breaking this down politically, you know, the sort of more conservative argument course for me, I'm the type of person I, I want to help people. I think that, you know, we must, you know, I, I actually see it as my duty as a spiritual being. If we're going to talk about spirituality, to me, spirituality means, and it's very simplest, that you aren't just uh, a part of me because you're on the planet. You are me. Like, come, like I am made of the same stuff. You are a different extension of me and I am a different extension of you, of source consciousness, let's call it. And that, uh, we are a reflection of them and they are a reflection of us, that we are all one. To me, that is sort of the definition of spirituality. And if you really understand that, then you're not necessarily even taking care of someone else. You're taking care of self. But I also think that taking it on the chin is something that um, is an orientation that we must also have. We must hold both. I must help you. And I must also understand that I am the only one who can help me because I might be the only one who will. Yeah. But I think we're also then thinking as I listen to you, I think about, okay, what are the various influences that goes into having the capacity to do that? Mm -hmm. And part of that means one's own, what is one's own connection and experience of actual feeling love? And if you're an individual that really has felt and knows that experience of love and you have that little nugget of um, information in you and you can call upon that and access that if it feels like your main thing has just been shame and disempowerment how do we start to have that lived experience of that imprint in us in order to operate from that imprint Mm -hmm. so i might say that we need to have individuals need to have that imprint of love or goodness or lovability in order to tap down into that seed 
in order then to do what you're saying, which is like, I have that access in me. I can use your words, take one on the chin, or I could have a little bit more flexibility right now to know that, oh, I really don't think this is fair. I really don't want to do this, but I've got to be able to rise up right now and be tall and be empowered. I love this so much because it's such a, this to me is really where the rubber meets the road in a personal uh, suffering and dynamics. Because, you know, if you look at the Buddhist philosophy, I mean, essentially, and, and by the way, this isn't the Christian you know, orientation. Well, it's all, it's, it's all over the place that life is suffering. Like there's no way to get around that. And perhaps if, if you and I were, you know, a supreme being who was going to design a world, Mm-hmm. We would build suffering into it because it makes you pay attention. You can't learn perhaps without yeah. suffering. And we'd also probably build death into it, a timetable. So you get <laughs> shit done. Right. So in a sense, it's designed well. Mm-hmm. But we do have this uh, this issue of spiritual. And this is really what I wanted to you know, really get in with you because get into with you, because another pet peeve of mine is this idea of people who speak a very spiritual mm-hmm. language a very connected language, mm-hmm. um, a very, you know, love, light, and, you know, mm-hmm. all of this, and yet show up in very divisive and dehumanizing ways. And to me, when you divide and you're divisive in your language, which judgment in itself mm-hmm. is a form of division, when you do that in any way, shape, or form, you are, in my mind, by very definition, not spiritual. If If we agree and perhaps you don't agree that spiritual spirituality at its very definition is a recognition of oneness Mm -hmm. that you are me and that i am you if that's not spiritual i don't know what is and certainly divisive language and dividing behaviors are completely different than that which then calls into question you know some of the orientations and popular religious orientations that culture has uh, constructed off of division, which to me goes, well, it's not spiritual at all. If you're seeing yourself in some way, shape or form as better than or trying to divide me from you. Right. I'm sorry to break into the show, but I wanted to take a second to cover one of our sponsors and tell you all about Paleo Valley at paleovalley.com. These are the grass-fed sticks that I tell you all so much about that all of my friends know I have on hand constantly. They are in my car. They are at my house. I keep them at my sister's home and my parents' house. I have these things everywhere because they are the simplest, most convenient whole foods protein supplement you can get. Almost like carrying around pure protein, low-carb protein in your pocket. They also, these Paleo Valley beef sticks, are the only the only 100% grass-fed and grass-finished beef sticks on the market. They use organic spices. They are naturally fermented instead of using nitrates and nitrites that can be a problem in some of these cured meats. And they simply taste fantastic. Check out the original or the jalapeno. Those are my favorites. Please make sure you go over to paleovalley.com and visit when checking out, use the code next level for a 15% discount. Remember, our sponsors keep the show going by you giving them your patronage and spending your money on these high quality products. You actually do a few things. One, you're helping to support the podcast. And two, you are helping your health. And three, you are making sure that good quality companies like Paleo Valley can be out there doing their business, 
changing the world, making the earth better. One of the things you may not know about this is that grass-fed organic and grass-finished beef is doing something that is so utterly important for our environment, actually helping to repopulate the topsoil. A lot of people don't know this, but our topsoil is being extremely depleted and raising animals, especially cattle, the correct way helps to get that topsoil back. This is one of the reasons why I love Paleo Valley, not to mention it tastes fantastic, but they're one of these companies like my other sponsors, Cured Nutrition and Organifi that are doing the right things by the environment. I really appreciate everything they do and I hope you will check them out. Thanks so much. Paleovalley.com. Use the code next level. And now back to the show. When, you, when you're speaking about that, the first uh, words that came into my mind is what is one's capacity to have a true sense of, for lack of a better word, self, like a, a true sense of knowingness, right? We use the word ego in different words in our common vernacular. A lot of times we'll say, oh, he's so egoic. Um, we think about the ego in psychology as just being um, a, a, a consistent sense of what is that sense of self, what is one's ego development, and that just means sense of self. And when we think of it in a colloquial vernacular, it's more like, oh, he's so egoic, he has an ego. So we might say if that if that spiritual person on their path of progression and self-actualization of being full and the next level human that person has some kind of progression with their ego development. And when I mean ego development, I mean when we're infants and when we're little babies born, we get a sense of goodness and who we are through the reflection of the parent. Mm -hmm. And so that little baby is crying and the parent picks it up and it's, oh, you're okay, you're okay. And what's happening there is an attunement that the baby begins to take in the sense of, I am okay because what is outside of me which at that point, the baby only has a concept of what's outside of me is also inside of me. They don't have a divided sense of self yet. Everything that's happening is really just them. And so if there's an outer world, a parent that says, hey, you're okay, they say, oh, I'm okay. And these are the beginning um, kernels for the building block of self. What happens when there's frightful experiences or fractured elements of stability in a a child's life. Um, everyone experiences some form of trauma. And how is that trauma met? And what is their resilience? What are those initial building blocks? So if that ego is based on, oh, I have a flexibility, I have a, a, a be able to experience hard things, but handle them, or is, um, you know, we look at more often leaders and spiritual, quote, spiritual leaders tend, can tend to be more narcissistic, partly because I also like that's not like a cat, it's like everybody, <laughs> but that because there's a sense of um, one has to have a healthy sense of narcissism um, in adolescent development because it's so fucking crazy what you go through in adolescence, all the the hormones and building of understanding of who am I and who are you and what do I really like, what do I not like, who's my who am I, that you have to have some semblance of solidity to keep going. And as that develops, you actually start to take on more real or authentic things inside of yourself. If that doesn't start happening and there's a rigid sense of self, an external, um, I am this, and I think that I need to think that not just because of what the inner core, there's, there is a sense of there's a flexible inner core versus no flexible inner core, then that outer shell is very fragile. 
And I need to prove myself by what I do or who reflects back at me. I need to prove myself by how much power, money, friends I have, as opposed to a solid, stable, flexible sense of security inside. Yeah. And that could be an orientation that you have, regardless of the, the, the type of language that you're using. In fact, you could put, potentially be using very spiritual language and being very Machiavellian and very psychopathic in your orientation towards humans, uh, Machiavellian uh, meaning manipulative, uh, you know, and in your orientation. And, and one of the things I just want to point out for you listening, that it's, I always find this interesting when you talk to people who are trained psychologists, how careful they are with the, with the, using the term narcissism, uh, because it's almost like this, it's overused term, I think, for those of us who are not, uh, you know, clinical psychologists, that, that, that term is used in a very, and correct me if I'm, if I get this, this wrong, but I just want to point out to people, notice how, um, Erica sort of used that term and narcissism is one of these things where it's on a, we all, we all have narcissistic tendencies. It's a personality trait. So it's, it's more on a continuum and it becomes psychopathic, you know, when it is, uh, you know, I- extreme in a sense. But I found it interesting that you were essentially saying that, you know, leaders have to have a degree of narcissism. It's almost like they have to know that they're good enough to get the job done. And hopefully though, it's balanced enough with humility and humbleness that, uh, you know, so they need to be confident enough to know they're a badass, some degree of narcissism and insecure enough to know that they're not shit, right? Like that's, that's the right orientation. And I just wanted to point that out because I like the way you were sort of balancing that. And it, I do think that's a term that's very much overused. But going back to, I think your major point is really interesting. This, this childhood development mm-hmm. and this idea, because I, I have a question about this, this idea of, do they feel safe as we, you know, sort of become fully conscious, which, you know, if you look at the literature, it happens somewhere between the ages of six and 10. I mean, the brain's not fully developed until like 25, but we start to develop somewhere in childhood, this idea of, I am my own entity and they are their own entity. Mm-hmm. And to me, is this where you see this? This is, it sounds like what you're saying is this is where this begins to happen. So would we say that if we had a very uh, adverse childhood and lots of trials and tribulations and traumas in childhood during these formative years, are, are you essentially saying this may, would make it very difficult for someone to really embody this, you know, essential spiritual idea of not just speaking in, you know, spiritual language, but actually behaving that way. There's so much that goes into, uh, you know, human development. I mean, a constitution, um, environment, what one's own biology is. So it's too difficult to say, yeah, if someone has a, certainly a really traumatic upbringing or a lack of present parenting, that's certainly going to be harder. But no, there's many people that I know who have developed into very healthy, um, humble, beautiful teachers and beings when they've had rough childhoods. Yeah. It, But it does take a certain amount of self-awareness. And just in general, I think self-awareness is one of the key traits that helps people grow. Um, so, I, But yeah, I think it certainly is harder when we come from greater trauma. And the reason I ask that, because here's I, I want to ask you something. I know that one of the things that is most interesting to me about you and what you've studied most of your career is it's 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 like you have delved. You're very traditionally trained and understand all that stuff. But you've delved in 
you know, sort of the mythological space. You've delved in, you know, the shamanistic space. You, you know, you're uh, someone who does ketamine assisted therapy and uh, understands the psychedelics at a level of no one I've met and, and what they're sort of used for. And in the non-dualistic sort of tradition, um, what they oftentimes talk about is they talk about the idea that the essence of us and this perhaps source consciousness that we come from at its very essence, it is just love. Mm. This is what they talk about. So from my perspective, if this is the case, mm -hmm. and if we have sort of this source consciousness that we essentially are all bubbling out of, and if, for those of you who don't know what I mean by non-dualism or idealism, this is a, just essentially the idea that everything is just consciousness, mm -hmm. that we are, that, that our brains don't create matter, but that consciousness and mind creates matter. It's all just consciousness, right? So it's all just source consciousness. And we are all, you know, sort of outcroppings of this. So the way I like to put it, this will be confusing to some people, but I'll, but hopefully you'll get it, is that we are all just fish made of water, swimming in water that is a limitless water with no surface and no, you know, no uh, boundary at all. And if this is the case, then it begs the question that perhaps there is no real subconscious. There's just this source consciousness that sort of we have access to, but our, e our ego sort of makes us, because of this self-reflective aspect of us being aware that we are aware, makes us forget and not be able to see. It's kind of like being in a fun house, a house of mirrors where you see one, you see your image, your image, your image, your image, and you forget and can't find your way around. It's sort of like the stars. It's light outside right now, but the, star, you're, the, the light from the stars are still reaching your eyes. You just aren't aware of it. So we somehow forget because of our egoic state that we have this source consciousness underneath us. And, and do you think perhaps that this is why people can go through such trials and tribulations and mm -hmm. they can, you know, be, you know, be kids who aren't completely but yet still be able to tap into yeah. this source consciousness. Is I, that what you think is going brilliant on? Brilliant question, Jade. I love you. Um, I think that that whatever that trigger is or instigator or catalyst that allows someone to drop into that touching that place. And for some, it's psychedelics. For some, it's meditation. For some, it's yoga. For some, it's their sports. For some, it's the relationship of love. Whatever that pinhole is that first illuminates that connection to this grander truth of love, this grander truth of connection and golden consciousness. You know, I think of it that way, like this web. So yeah, whatever that thing is. And I think that's why psychedelics right at this time, as we are societally expanding in consciousness is literally expanding on the map mm -hmm. because it is one, just one modality that can help people. And particularly people that have had more of a, a barrier between accessing that place. Psychedelics is one way of doing that when done in a safe, contained setting with trained providers. Um, so yeah, I think that's what it makes me think of. My answer to your question is yes, I think it's right on to say that that source consciousness, you know, Jung would call collective consciousness. Yeah. And that's the juicy love. Yeah, I could almost feel your, your goosebumps and I'm getting them too, like in terms of just getting into this work. Now here, I guess then's the question, right? Like, how do we then, if this is what we must access and that in some sense we have access to it all of the time, mm -hmm. then how do we, what are the ways in which we can begin uh, to see this 
and not just see it because you mentioned some of those things already. Mm -hmm. Psychedelics is a big one. Mm -hmm. But then what happens is I know so many people who do this and they have these amazing experiences Mm -hmm. and then they come out and they go right back into, you know, sort of this non spiritual Mm -hmm. way of being and and doing and so this is really i'm just opening up from your perspective what do you really think you know the next level human journey Mm -hmm. you know like what what do you think that we really should like if you had advice Mm -hmm. for us Mm -hmm. like what where where do you think we should be thinking and orienting and and how do we develop this self-awareness and how do we tap into this you know this golden consciousness or this source consciousness how do how do we get there because if if i'm hearing you correctly and we're right here what this means is no matter what trials and tribulations and traumas that we've had and no matter what we've dealt with in life this is always accessible to us and once it becomes accessible to us ideally we should then begin to promote and amplify and amplify yeah one the what was in my mind when you were speaking was Ah, I'm going to use a a word that can tend to be edgy, which is the word frequency. Mm. Um, When you, and I, and I don't think it's so edgy when you think of tuning forks and sound frequency, sound is vibration. And when you hold one tuning fork that's going out of C and you hold another one up, they will resonate. There's something called resonance, right? They're going to resonate and vibrate at the same frequency. And that's what humans, your next level humans can do. So we have to start to feel attuned to that inner truth of when we feel good and when we're in that place. And then can I, from there, recognize, oh, I'm in a room with somebody. They make me feel really good too. They hold me up. Their vibration feels so much better than when I start to go with my other friend and we start to get gossipy and it doesn't feel good, feel that lower vibration. So our first thing is attuning with that cord in ourselves that feels gold, you know, love that feels resonant, that feels expansive and light. And then knowing when we're in another frequency and company, either it's a person or an activity. Some people, you know, can find that place when they're on the yoga mat or they can do it on their bicycle, that space of expansion and I also think we're creatures of experience. So can you notice through experience? We learn through experience. So to your point, you might go on a powerful ayahuasca retreat and you may come back and be like, oh my God, I was able to see and and all these things and have deep understandings. And how am I now going to integrate that? And that's also in the psychedelic world. When we talk about integration sessions, you can go and have, a very powerful experience, but if you're not capitalizing on that vibration, if it, if the tuning fork goes still and we don't resonate, keep it going, then yeah, it's going to fall off. And what just happened to that experience? How are we going to use that and integrate that more into our lives? And then we start attracting different people. We start seeing different friends and connections that are synchronous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that to me is so good because this starts taking concepts like the law of attraction and things like that and makes them. I don't love that, because, but it makes it makes it far more tangible for me. It's not necessarily the law of attraction. I oftentimes call it the law of recognition. Actually, a funny story I'll tell all the listeners here. My good friend, Mike, who's been on the podcast 
and who Erica knows well. When before I met Erica, we were all at a CrossFit gym together. We had not met yet, but Mike walked. This is the tuning fork, I think. Mike walked past Erica as she was engaged with someone in conversation and just being her light, bubbly, intelligent, you know, sort of self. And he comes up to me, he goes, that chick right there is cool. Like she, she's your kind of person. She's like, we got to get to know her. And it was almost like recognizing this tuning fork. Here's the interesting thing though. I think you're saying, and I'll ask the question. Like, so imagine I walk into this room and have this experience or meet these particular people or whatever it may be. There's occasion for that in life. And it, Let's just imagine it's like walking into a room with a beautiful symphony playing mm. and I pick up the violin and realize that, oh, my gosh, I could play along with them. And this feels good and where I need to be. And then I leave that room with my violin and walk into another room where they're playing heavy metal and my violin can't even make headway. Mm. It sounds like part of what you're saying is that this is another place where as spiritual humans, we have to realize that we're somewhat responsible for that because I, I hear this term all the time, toxic people. Mm -hmm. And I don't love that term at all, partly because I just go, well, if you're voluntarily exposing yourself to a toxic human, aren't you the toxic one? Mm -hmm. and, and by the way, how do we know which one of us is toxic in the first place? Right. And, and you know, if I'm vibrating with you and mm -hmm. I'm picking that up, then aren't I the toxic one? Mm -hmm. So. It, it sort of begs this question, but it does seem to say that you are suggesting that the environmental shift, which to me, the ultimate environment is the one that you create in your thoughts, mm. must happen at some point. And you've said, and I agree with you, that, you know, obviously, if we can be next level humans, that what if we set our intention mm -hmm. to bring that experience to other people. And then they set that intention to bring that experience to other people. And then they did, and they did. This is that idea of paying it forward spiritually, which then gives a whole other meaning to the idea of being spiritual isn't talking about, it's using spiritual language. Mm -hmm. Being spiritual is the recognition that I can bring oneness to my interactions with the world. Mm -hmm. I can vibrate, and that's another maybe new age word, but I can embody a sense of meanness or experience that is at a level that I want to be and that I'm going to, if I'm not there, I mean, one of the reasons that I love hanging out with you is because you do vibrate in ways that, you know, I guess the word vibrate, but mm -hmm. that really allows me to feel my own goodness and my own light. Same. So I want to choose that in my relationships. And we may not always be there. And so it's like, God, I should really hang out. What is my choice? Am I going to go hang out with Jade? Or am I going to go hang out with somebody else who's just going to join in my negativity? So we have choice in that. And I think there's that, um, this space where we're at right now in our own growth is that our relationships become our mirrors. Like you were saying, if, if you're in a toxic relationship, but aren't I toxic then if I'm choosing that relationship? Are we allowing that to show us, going back to our first episode, what is the shadow quality that I'm needing to see? What is here for me to heal? What is here for me to change, shift, grow, evolve, transmute? What is in me that I'm still working on? And that's where the self-awareness piece comes in, that our life is a continual opportunity to be our own personal project. I want to jump in real quick and tell you about one of my favorite new 
products. And to start out, I want to ask you a question. If you had to follow your friends around who are not the healthiest in the world and see what they are doing, what would be the number one thing you would probably tell them to do to start? For most people, that's going to be drinking more water, right? This is something that we talk about all the time in health and fitness. It's almost as if we think of it as an afterthought now because obviously water is so crucial. However, we oftentimes get this wrong. For example, did you know that when it comes to hydration, just drinking water can make things worse? Most people don't know this. Why? Partly because most people are over drinking water and under consuming the electrolytes that help water do its job. What we don't realize is that hydration is not just about water. It's about electrolytes, the minerals in there, as well as getting that water into the cells. And so you do not want to be over consuming water if you're not getting your electrolytes right. And this opens up a whole new discussion because most people are not getting their electrolytes right. For example, did you know that low sodium, too low sodium is an issue? Just as much, if not more so, than high sodium. In other words, what we want if we're going to get the right electrolytes is to get the right amount of sodium and potassium and magnesium in the Goldilocks zone. We don't want too much. We don't want too little. We want it just right. This opens up a whole other thing here too because people who are exercising, doing sauna therapies, doing low-carb diets are disrupting and losing lots and lots of their electrolytes. For example, when insulin is not around in low-carb diets, you will excrete lots of sodium. In other words, under that state, exercising, low-carb diets, all these things, you actually need more sodium. And so if you're somebody who has been just drinking water, not paying attention to electrolytes and also feeling fatigued, feeling like you're underperforming, not sleeping right, getting cramps, twitches, headaches, any of these things, then you are probably dealing with an electrolyte issue. This is where the product element comes in. This product has been a game changer for me and many, many of my patients and clients. This is a rehydration electrolyte beverage, basically. It is a powder of electrolytes formulated with 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams magnesium without the added sugar and other nonsense that comes in beverages like Gatorade. This stuff is basically a rehydration beverage on steroids. It is the thing that is going to replenish your electrolytes in the right ratios, decrease fatigue, really correct chronic dehydration. And by the way, many people are dehydrating themselves, becoming hyponatremic, low sodium, when they're consuming too much water. You need your electrolytes on board, especially if you are someone who is losing lots of sodium and other electrolytes through low-carb diets and lots and lots of exercise. This is where Element comes in. Element is a new sponsor to the Next Level Human podcast. I cannot recommend this product enough. I have been using this stuff for months now, and I have immediately seen changes 
in my energy levels. I feel like I'm operating on a whole other level. And I have seen this as being the primary thing that people who have been using Element have been telling me that their fatigue is getting better, especially fatigue that comes after very intense workouts that involve lots of sweating and lots of intense output from the nervous system. Please check out Element. Use the code next level, drinkelement.com. That's D R I N K L M N T dot com. Drinkelement.com and let's get back to the show. To me, spirituality, right? Like to me, if I if I think about this, I go, like imagine that if if it's all just consciousness, then we are essentially in a very real sense filters mm-hmm. for that particular free for a particular frequency of consciousness. It's almost like imagine the universe is this giant you know, uh, octopus with all these suction cups and tentacles and little bumps all over its arm. And each of us are one little bump or one little suction cup or one little aspect of that nervous system that is sort of sampling the world, allowing, you know, this source consciousness to experience itself in a sense. So if, if this is how we orient, then we and this filter that we are as humans if we essentially open ourselves up to this, the job then of us would be to expand that filter, to develop our consciousness more fully. And because it's a recognition that other people are us and we are them, that it's our job to expand their filter, which means we cannot speak in divisive, dehumanizing, non-inclusive um, ways and ways of being with people ever because then we are just insulting and devolving source consciousness, which is ultimately insulting and destroying and evolving ourselves. And I also want to, I want to make room for um, the shadow work, mm-hmm. right? Or if we use that term, um, our own inner work or seeing our injuries and wounds, right? Um, Catabasis, right? Which is the, you know, my program, right? What the tenant is, is to say, can we go into the down under? Can we take a journey? down into the underworld to come up and rise again. Because if we're only going to stay up here, we're only going to stay in the positive, we're probably cutting off because we are humans that are trying to evolve. And we are sentient beings that have this these feelings. If we don't look at these other areas that are still ripe for evolving, then we're cutting off and either dissociating or compartmentalizing and missing the opportunities for healing and growth. Okay, so let's let's just tackle this before we end mm-hmm. this this last little piece because this is fascinating. So, is what you're saying here is that if I am uh, suffering and that some of this suffering is in some regards um, I'm blind to it, mm-hmm. then some of the work that we must do is going into this uh and and looking at this suffering suffering to me being you know emotional mental pain and going into this this world looking at this aspect of consciousness and then what do we do with it because i've always had this contention that once we recognize this pain Mm -hmm. the job and and this is more a question so i want to see if you go yes jay this is right or i don't agree with this or i don't see it that way um the, to me, the job of once we be job one, it sounds like we're in agreement with you have to look at this pain. You have to go into the areas that you're not completely aware of and understand mm-hmm. aspects of where you're suffering and all of that kind of stuff. And then two, from my perspective, is 
what's the job then when we now have excavated this hot potato, right? This thing that is hurting us. You know, a lot of people would say, well, I don't want to sit in this. And my contention is that we must in some way integrate this. And part of the way in my way, and this is the question, my way, I've always thought that if I can look to see who else is suffering in this way mm-hmm. and go and help to allay their suffering, to teach the lessons I've learned from that same suffering, in some very real way, I get to integrate that suffering for myself as well as allay some of their suffering. And I'm wondering, is this correct? And the reason I'm asking is because when we talk about going into the shadow space and going into these worlds, I think a lot of people would say, I'm too afraid of that. And then what, what do I do when I find it? Like, what, what am I going to do with this hot potato, this hot mess of dysfunction that feels like it's the end of the world or is not something I, I want to look at or confronts my insecurity issues on such a way that it can blow any semblance of self-esteem up? Yeah, I, and I don't think there's one right answer. I think there's a number of different right answers because we're also different in what we need. I definitely think one modality is to be able to become conscious of what those injuries, pains were to experience them through our bodies. And this is some, you know, in trauma theory, trauma gets stored in our bodies and the releasing of that trauma also happens through our bodies and through experience and relationships. So if I, for instance, had, um, an alcoholic father who was always critical and end up choosing partners who are critical. I'm replaying something, you know, Freud would say it's a repetition compulsion until you get it right. Some might say, well, that's going to take a really long time. Mm-hmm. Um, others might say, well, can I have a new relationship where I'm actually shifting the stories and experiencing new stories to heal? I mean, we're both st- story making creatures. We, live through stories and our memories are completely fallible. So we really begin to construct new stories and new ways of being, but also that the body has to be integrated in that too. So if it's just, oh, I'm changing my script. Well, that seed of trauma in the body is not necessarily going to change just because you're changing the script. Mm -hmm. So I do want to honor also the, the need for the body to process traumas and to come through that through different experiences and through ways of healing trauma through the body. Yeah. One thing I'll say about that's really interesting. When I had my ayahuasca experience, um, one of the things is uh, my third time I didn't throw up at all. And I remember asking uh, the one of the shaman's assistants afterwards. I was like, you know, I didn't uh, purge. And she said to me because she was there helping that night. She goes, oh, Jade, you purged. She goes, remember when, you know, you were shaking and like you were, you know, uh, I was having these things where my whole body would just shake and some people would get up and dance and there was one point where i was just you know sort of moving and rocking back and forth but i'd have these energetic things go through me of course the first night i did throw up but i found ever since then and then i had an lsd experience where i had to get up and i went through just this spontaneous yoga Mm -hmm. sort of flow and felt all this energy surging through my body and since then not kidding this is what six months ago now i have done that every single morning uh, for 20 minutes, I wake up and do this, this flow. And it has been really interesting to see the energetics around, you know, uh, needing to move in that way, which I'm not someone that has an orientation to exercise. Yes, but not dance or not anything like that. So 
it's really interesting. So if I'm hearing you correctly, there's this idea of we are, you know, story, you know, sort of making machines. We buy into stories. We need to become aware of those stories. We need to begin to rewrite those stories. We also need to be, you know, so journaling, perhaps um, movement therapies, uh, you know, allowing ourselves to feel where these things are and then move. And then, of course, acting out these new scripts in the real world mm -hmm. and there's so there's two other parts too one which you already mentioned was through the body right the other one is through relational attunement mm -hmm. and i think we all know i hope most of us know what that's like when someone's attuned with you it's why you know a moment ago when i was getting excited you're like oh i'm getting excited right mm -hmm. because we're resonating and so there's another human who is attuning with you and that's what i think good therapy does you know clinical like talk therapy um, along with many other therapies why what really good relationship is is we're attuning and we feel met and seen and so healing happens also through that through positive attunement that's healthy and through the body like you're saying through movement or shaking or crying moving energy energy is neither created nor destroyed and so when an energy comes in and gets blocked that energy somehow is in there let me so let me just I want to reinforce to you what this to me, this is so powerful what you're saying, Eric, and I want to make sure the listeners don't miss it. And then I'll give you final, final uh, thoughts. Uh, but if we're listening to what Eric is essentially saying, she's she is telling us that lots of this trauma gets stored in the body. Mm -hmm. And energetically speaking, it's not too far to make that leap that these things then. And I don't think this is too uncommon in you know people's understandings now that this can manifest as illness mm -hmm. and she's also giving you and giving us a way to begin to deal with this and so if you're somebody who has had suffering which every human has we know it's there and you believe and have seen uh, that it is perhaps uh recurrent patterns stuck emotions recurrent you know repeated obstacles and things like that then you know it's having a role in your life and Arab is literally giving us tools to help break through this. The, the tools of psychedelics, the tools of meditation, the tools of journaling, the, the, the beautiful tool of attuning with other humans, um, the you know movement sort of therapies and all of these kinds of things. These things are not something that we should be looking at as alternative out there woo-woo therapies. We should be looking at these as primary tools, primary treatments in something that uh, conventional medicine and even my field, natural medicine, simply is not really touching, which is why I just think it's so powerful to be able to talk to someone mm -hmm. like you. So I'm going to wrap up there, but I want to hear any final thoughts that you have. The, the other one that I would say that can't be left off is experience of nature and being outside. And just, I think a year ago, Canada has now made it a prescription. Their doctors are allowed to prescribe nature therapy. Mm -hmm. So what they do is they actually give them a parks pass. So they can, that's actually now a, a medical um, exchange. You can get a prescription to get a parks pass to spend time outside. Shinrin Yoku, that's what they call it in Japanese, forest bathing. I love that. <laughs> Tell us, Erica, where everyone uh, can find you. I know that you have a website. I know you're in clinical practice and mm -hmm. I don't know how much distance stuff you do. Or And I know you. the big thing that I'm so excited about for you is the ketamine-assisted uh, therapy that we're going to do another podcast, you and I, so people can be educated on that. But where can they find you? 
Where do you hang out if they want to get more education? From yeah, you? so we are in the middle of giving our website a facelift, mm-hmm. but that is catabasisrising.com, K-A-T-A-B-A-S-I-S, rising. And you could also find me at Dr. Period Erica CZ at mm-hmm. Gmail. Cool. You are just brilliant, my friend. I and you. I love you. Thank you for being on thank with you. the Next Level Human crowd. And uh, thank you, everybody, for thank hanging you. out in the conversation. And we will see you next time. You have been listening to the Next Level Human podcast with Dr. Jade Tita. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you subscribe and consider leaving a review. You make the biggest difference when you pass on your lessons and inspire others. That's why reviews like this are so powerful. Your words may be the only ones that resonate for someone else. Please remember the information in this podcast is for educational purposes only. Always consult your personal physician or therapist before making any lifestyle changes. And finally, thank you for who you are in the world and the difference you make. You make.